want to add my um, um, word of thanks to our mothers as well um, on this special day. It's so wonderful that we acknowledge it as a, as a country because obviously our mothers are, are very, very important. None of us got here without them. Um, and uh, I think there's only one exception of someone who made his mother, and that was Jesus. Other than that, they all made us. So we're so glad to be here. My mother had no father. My mother's father left the family when my mom was two years of age. She has no recollection of ever having seen her father. He left the family. He never divorced grandma. He simply married somebody else. He was a bigamist. And he never provided one penny of support for the family. So my grandma was left to raise six children by herself in Chicago in the Depression. Obviously, it was difficult. Not only was my, did my mother have to grow up without a father, and uh, it was also a very, very difficult family situation. My mother's, one of my mother's sisters, my mother's the five of the six children, one of my mother's sisters died at three months of age. My mother's brother, Robert, he was hit on his bicycle by a police officer at age 15 and was killed. The police officer was chasing a speeding car. Remember, this is Chicago in the 30s. You know who was there, Al Capone and others. Then my, another one of my mother's sisters committed suicide. One died of cancer. And the other had pretty serious mental illness. And so my, my grandmother outlived five of her six children. She buried five of them. Obviously, life was not very easy at all. When I was a child, I did not like going to my grandma's house. It's not because my grandma was not a wonderful person. She was. I didn't want to go there because of where she lived. I grew up in a town that makes Sheridan look big. My town had 1,200 people. But my grandma lived in the ghetto of Chicago. So when we went there for holiday times, I was scared. She lived in a little second-story rented flat. And right next to it was a, a school, Salmon P. Chase School. The windows were boarded. There was not a blade of grass anywhere. It was just concrete and asphalt with fences around it. it looked more like a prison than a school. And I was scared. And yet, I would say two of the greatest people in my whole life are my two mothers. My grandmother and my mother. But they did not have it very easy at all. Grandma was determined that she would do the best she could with her six children, with no man in the house. And you can imagine it was tough. She wanted her children to know about God because she believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she insisted that they go to church. But they did not have enough money to pay for the bus fare. My grandma was on welfare. And so every day, every Sunday, 
And my mother had perfect attendance, I think, for 13 years. They walked between one and two miles to Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And um, rain or shine, through the winters of Chicago, they made it every week. Harry Ironside, the famous one, was the pastor at that particular time. When I asked Mom about uh, Grandma, this is what she said. She wasn't a very robust person, mentally or physically, and all the reversals she faced were really hard, but she persevered. She took care of us. The main thing is that she saw to it that we were spiritually fed. She did anything she could to enlarge our spiritual lives. We knew that God was our provider. When I would go to my grandma's house for Christmas and other holidays, um, she, I don't know what she was thinking, but she filled her house with all these strange creatures, people. Now, my family was big enough. I'm one of eight children, so there were ten of us that descended on Grandma's little tiny flat. But then there was Mamie and Maudie and Teethy and, all, and Uncle Charlie. I particularly remember Uncle Charlie because Uncle Charlie was blind. He was there every time we were together, and he smoked these great big cigars. So I remember all these people. It was not until I was many years into adulthood that I asked my mom, who are these people after all? Who were they? All these strays that grandma would collect. And she started telling me. She said, Mamie. Mamie was someone that grandma met at Moody Memorial Church. And Mamie is the one who paid so that my grandma could go to Moody Evening School and get some Bible education. But the one that surprised me the most was Uncle Charlie. He really was my uncle. Uncle Charlie was my mother's deadbeat dad's brother. Can you imagine having a father or a, a, a spouse who walks out on you and never gives you a dime for the rest of your life, leaving you in abject poverty, raising six children, and then you have the grace to invite his blind brother smoking his cigars to every family gathering. That's what my, my grandma did. I thought, what? I was always a little bit embarrassed about my grandma because she was so poor. But then I realized as I got older, my grandma, my grandma's a hero. And my mother is one of the greatest people in my life to whom I attribute a lot of who I am spiritually to my mother. So today I would like to speak about two mothers, not my mother and my grandmother, but the two who are pictured in this slide on the screens. These two are Naomi and Ruth. And in many ways, their life, remember, though their lives resemble the lives of my two mothers. And so I would like to tell you their story. If you have a Bible, the book of Ruth, of course, is um, toward the beginning of the Bible, and it's one of the most beautiful love stories in the entire Bible. But as all good stories, they begin with some bad stuff. 
The book of Ruth begins in a very, very bad way with a series of unfortunate events. In, Ru in Naomi's life, everything falls apart. And so here's how the book begins. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, when you see those words and you read it in the Bible, you go, okay. What you might not see is how bad that actually is. That is horrible and worse than you think. In the days when the judges ruled, well, the period of the judges is a period of about 300 years in the history of the nation of Israel. We have not even been a country for 300 years. For 300 years, the nation of Israel was ruled by people called judges, and they were not good. God had to go to the very bottom of the barrel to try to find somebody to lead his people during this period of time. It was a period of time that was, uh, that was noted by for its political anarchy. There were not good leaders. It was a disaster. And so the first thing we know is that this story is set during a time of political horrors. And then there was famine in the land. Well, all places experience famine at various times, but it's worse than you think because where is the famine? In Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. It's one thing to have a famine in the Sahara Desert. It's quite another thing to have a, a famine in Iowa. You see, there's a huge difference because a place like Iowa has rain and good soil and all of that, and there's always bread there. That's what Bethlehem was, the house of bread. But here, the house of bread had no bread. And so this family had to leave. And where did they go? Well, you go where the food is. But sometimes the food is in places that you don't want to go. Let's say the United States had a period of time where we were without food. We had famine. And we had to all go to Mexico because Mexico had food. That wouldn't be so pleasant for us. Well, Moab is the place where there was grain. Moab is not many miles from Bethlehem. I've, driven, I've been on that road many times to Moab. It's only about 40 miles away. You go down to the deepest spot on earth, the Jordan Valley, and up the other side into Moab, and there's, um, that's where they had to go. But you see, the Moabites were the sworn enemies of the Jewish people. The Jewish people did not have anything to do with the Moabites. And one of the main reasons is the Moabites were evil people religiously. They worshipped many gods. One of their gods expected them to throw their children into the fires as an act of worship. And there were all kinds of sexual things that were involved in the worship of their god Chemosh. So here, this family from Bethlehem has to go to a place with all these foreign people as refugees to try to find some food to eat. And these people had a very horrible religion. But it gets worse. This is how the, judges, the, the, the last verse in Judges describes the period. Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's called anarchy so here's what happens 
Now, the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. And you go, uh, so what? Oh, this is pretty bad. Did you catch it? What is that? Well, that's just a bunch of names. Well, you see, in the Old Testament times, even in the New Testament times, names are extremely significant. You didn't go to just some book and say, oh, that name sounds so pretty. No. People were not named until after they were born. And after they were born, they were given their name because the parents looked at the child that God had given them and they tried to get a sense of what this child was like or what this child would become. And so here are the names. Elimelech, God is my king. Naomi, pleasant. Malon, weakling. Kilion, scrawny. <laughs> Can you imagine? You had your little kids and instead of giving them what you say, this kid can't even lift up his head. But let's call him weakling. I, I always think I call him Malox. Maybe he had stomach problems. And Kilion. <laughs> Can you imagine scrawny? The kid is so scrawny. Let's just call him scrawny. So that's his name. And by the way, the names are very important in this book. So not only do they have the, the difficulties that they faced with famine and all, but now God gave them two children who were not physically strong. They were weak and scrawny. Well, it gets worse. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Now she's a widow. And she is left with her two sons. What did they do? They married Moabite women. Now, that's not a good thing for a Jewish person to marry a Moabite for all kinds of reasons. They were not allowed to do that. They were not supposed to do that. But if you've got nobody else for your children, they intermarried with these two women. And by the way, Orpah is where Oprah Winfrey gets her name. Her mother just switched two of the letters. So here's Orpah and Ruth. So that's what they had to deal with. And now it gets worse. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malox and Scrawny died. Well, why? Because they were weak and scrawny. These were not physically robust people. So they died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now you got three widows. <laughs> How can things get any worse? This is the catalog of catastrophes that Naomi had to face. Can you imagine? You live in some of the worst times. Let's say um, it was the 1930s. We were alive in the 30s. And economically, it's the Depression. And just to make a living, you have to go to another country to live where people don't even like you and you're ethnically different. And the religion in that place is revolting to you. And your children are not physically well at all. And then your husband dies and your children marry some of the people that you do not want them to marry. And then your two children die, leaving you childless. And now you don't have any heir to carry on your family name. And what does it do to you spiritually? Well, here's what it did to Naomi. It made her into a bitter old bag. 
I didn't make that up. She did. She says, God hates me. Okay. I, I, I've lived long enough on this planet to realize that one of the most difficult jobs this world has ever seen is the job of a mother. When you first became a mother, you saw this magnificent gift that God gave to you. You had no idea what that would cost. How much it would cost of your heart, your soul, your mind, your emotions, your strength. You didn't know. And yet, we're here because some good woman, in most cases, did that for us. So here's how the book starts. But now into this series of catastrophes, God is going to start to point to show little glimpses of his grace. Now, oftentimes, God does that for us, and we don't even see the glimpses. But let's see what he does. When she heard in Moab, that's Naomi, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. What do you see the first glimpses? The first glimpse is that God gave, after 10 years of living in a foreign country, God gave rain to Bethlehem, and now they have grain there again, and they've got food there again. And so there's a little glimpse of God's grace. And the next glimpse of God's grace is now Naomi says, I can go home to people I know and a language I know and, and land I know. At I'm gonna be, I don't have my husband, I don't have my sons, I'm destitute, but at least it's home. You know what happens next. Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, you two have been really kind to me, but I'm going home, and my home is not your home. You need to stay here with your people, and you're still young, and you're beautiful. You can marry some of the people of your own tribe here, the Moabites, and have a good life. Have a good life. And Orpah said, Okay, Ruth said, not on your life. And now Ruth gives us, perhaps in all of literature, the greatest statement of commitment that was ever uttered. It's often used at weddings, though it's actually given by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Here it is. Don't urge me to leave you to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. What is she saying? She's saying, I have been raised in Moab. I am a Moabite. I have been raised with the religion of Chemosh. But I choose this day that I place myself under the God of Israel, your God. Naomi is going to be my God. It's conversion. Where I die, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord, the true God, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything, but death separates you and me. Now this is not a glimpse of grace. This is a lightning bolt of grace. 
God now gives to Naomi one of the most beautiful human beings that has ever lived, who now converts to the, 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 the God of Israel and sticks to her mother-in-law. says, I will take care of you. And I would rather die than not do that. Wow. What grace. And so they go home. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be pleasant? Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. I am a bitter old lady. I went away full. I had a husband and two children. Don't you call me pleasant. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune around me, upon me. God did this to me. Whoa. What kind of grace is that? Well, the, the truth is that's why one of the many reasons I love the Word of God. I've read a lot of religious writings. The Bible is like none of them. What's so beautiful about the Bible is it's so true to life. When people are bitter, they say they're bitter. They don't go, oh, God is so nice. Let's be happy. They say, no, I'm bitter. I'm angry at God because I had a husband. I had two children. Now I've got nothing. Well, she didn't have nothing. She had someone that is incredible in her life. But you see, even as God gives little glimpses of grace, the emotions take a while to catch up. She comes home and she's bitter. But God is not through with the glimpses of grace. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing. That means he's rich. And his name was Boaz. So now they come back, and, and, and Naomi says, I've got nothing. I'm a destitute widow, and I don't even have any heirs. But there was somebody in the family named Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. There's another grace. You see, God had instituted for the people of Israel that the poor were always to be taken care of. And one of the ways that the poor were taken care of was through gleaning. People who were landowners who had products or they had fields or orchards were to leave some of the field unharvested and some of the Anything that fell from the trees did not belong to the owner of the trees. It belonged to the poor, but the poor had to go get it. And so Ruth said, Mom, I would love the privilege of going into the fields and getting some food for us. What a woman. And so she goes into the fields. And now we're going to see what happens when Ruth goes into the fields. She's not going to do much. But to me, this next section is going to be one of the most beautiful love stories I've ever seen. As we go through the interaction between Ruth and Boaz now, just look at the love and respect these two show to each other. It's their courting. If only we, husbands and wives, could live like this. Here it goes. So Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, just by chance, I guess. <laughs> no, this is God's providence. 
As it turned out, she found herself, it was just by accident, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Get to work, you bums! Who it says? Well, he's the boss. And these are the servants. Get to work. Work harder. No, that's not what he said. He said, the Lord be with you. Is that how you're greeted every day when you go to work? Oh, workers, the Lord be with you. And how do the workers respond? Oh, the Lord bless you, Boaz. So you get a little glimpse of the kind of boss this guy is. He's a pretty good dude. But then he spots Ruth. My daughter. She's a Moabite. She's not his daughter. She's from the other side of the tracks. She's from another religion. Or so he thinks. Listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after them. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now, I happen to have been in the Middle East many times, and I've taken many, many people with me, hundreds. And we have to always tell the women in our group, watch out, because they have been touched. You see, in some of these places, the, the norm is, well, all American women are loose, so you can do whatever you want with them. Of course, that's a bunch of baloney, but that's what they have been taught. Well, it was the same in this society. This is a Moabite woman. Come on. You can do whatever you want with her. You can abuse her. Boaz says, no, you, I've told my men, don't you dare touch this woman. And by the way, I want you to pull some of the grain out of your baskets and put it on the ground. I want her to be able to have it. And when she's thirsty, I want her to be able to drink the water that you guys drink. How does she respond? She bowed with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And now look at what this magnificent man is going to say to her. I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So I've heard about you. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's one of the most beautiful statements in the Bible. It says, I, I, I know all about you. I've heard about you. You have chosen to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Over the last week, I've been going to the river over here, just on the church property. And there was this, in the river, as the water was rising, there was a, 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 a little island out there. And on the island was a goose nest. And there were some eggs. I saw the eggs. And then I saw for two days the goose laying on the eggs. I'm sure trying to get those babies to hatch. And then the next day, it was all gone river had washed it away but it was a picture of of the mother the mother caring for her for her eggs 
What a picture of the mother hen gathering her children under her wings and said, that's what you've done, Ruth. You have chosen to come under the wings of the true living God. You are an incredible person. May God reward you. If he only knew how God's going to reward her. God is going to reward every human being who's ever lived on the face of the earth through this woman. She is the linchpin. Unbelievable. Oh, if only we knew what rewards God can bring from this godly life. Simply, she's simply godly. And here's how she responds. Oh, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. Here he, he calls her my daughter and she calls him my Lord. You've given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, even though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Unbelievable. Unbelievable the, the way these ta they talk to each other. And then um, finally, Naomi's starting to crack. The bitterness is starting to ooze out of her. Because Ruth comes home with a huge basket full of grain, and Naomi says, where did you get that? She said, well, Boaz. Oh, the Lord bless him. God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead, she added. That man is one of our close relatives. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now the word redeemer appears like over 20 times in the book of Ruth. It's the central concept. You see, in that society, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you died without an heir, someone who can carry on your family name. Since Naomi has lost her husband and her two boys, she has no one to carry on her family name. So in that society, it's called leveret marriage. One of the relatives is responsible to take Ruth as his wife and hopefully have children. And if they have children, the children will not be Ruth's. The children belong to Naomi and will carry on the name of Elimelech. It just so happens that Boaz is one of the relatives. When I look at the conversation between Ruth and Boaz, it reminds me of this verse in the New Testament. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. One of the things that slips away in, in a marriage relationship is graceful conversation. Do we treat, the, these two just treat each other with such grace, love, and respect which is at the heart of just common goodness that God's grace evokes from us. Now you've got glimpses of grace, and you've got the incredible common goodness of these two, Boaz and Ruth, and we end with what God is going to do. But first, let me point out this is just a picture of an arrow that looks like a cloud. And I put that there to remember what are called arrow prayers. Sometimes people ask me, tell me about your prayer life, and I somewhat reluctantly say, well, it's full of arrows. And this is what I mean. Some years ago, I was told that the book of Ruth is a, is a, tells us a lot about prayer, and so I decided I was going to read it, and I read the book, and I didn't see any prayers. I read it a second time, didn't see any prayers. I read it a third time, and I finally found them. There are about 11 of them, I think. But they're all one-liners. You know, God didn't say, make sure you spend seven minutes of prayer each day or be sure you attend prayer meetings. Nothing wrong with those. Those are good. But you know what the Bible says? It says, pray 
without ceasing. How can you do that? The only way you can really do that is you talk to God all the time. You're always shooting up arrows. All of life is prayer. Did you see it there? Oh, may God bless you. Well, that's a prayer. When we just throw it out, we think, oh, those are just uh, useless words. They're not useless words. God hears that. That's a prayer. May God bless you. And guess what happens in the book of Ruth? He does. May God make you rich and famous. You know what he does? He does the very thing. Prayers are pretty important, and it's full of them. Well, now what happens as a result of, as you know, Ruth and Boaz get married, and then this happens. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And by the way, I'm one of seven sons in my family. I have one sister, so she must be Ruth. And that is her middle name, Ruth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Who has a son? Not Ruth. Naomi has a son. Ruth gave birth, but no, this is Naomi's son. And they named him Obed, which means the servant of God. And Obed grew up, and he had a son, and his name was Jesse. And Jesse grew up, and Jesse had a son, and his name was David. And David grew up, and David had a son, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person on the face of the universe, is Jesus. That's what God brought out of that. So a few things to take home. Sometimes, when things are falling apart... What you may not know is that they may actually be falling into place. So what's the thing? Trust God. Little did God, did I know, or did any, did my mother know, the only child alive with her grandma, with her mother, that now my mother has approaching 70 in her family. And I'm one of eight children, and five of us are in full-time Christian ministry which doesn't mean any, in fact, my brothers who are not in full-time Christian ministry are better than we are, so don't put any value judgment on that. But that's what God did. That's what God did out of this horribly difficult situation. God was putting my family together out of that. And it's often when the skies are the darkest that we see the brightest lights the judges are the darkest period in the history of Israel. And out of that darkness, you see the brightest love story, perhaps in the Bible. And with it, the ancestors of our Lord Jesus Christ. And never, never underestimate the power of one simple, godly life. As John Maxwell said this, ordinary people with commitment can make an extraordinary impact on their world. That is absolutely true. And it's all because of 
the fact that we have a kinsman redeemer too. Someone who took on human flesh just like we did. We're God's children, but all of us are rebels. So he had to come to this earth and buy us back out of our slavery, out of our sin. He did so willingly when he gave his life on the cross for our salvation. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And so, mothers, especially you single mothers, you got the hardest job. May God bless you. And never underestimate the extraordinary eternal impact